0: Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. Maybe we should start this off, Caroline, by just inhaling. Ooh, not sniffing (laughs) it in the microphone. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. It was deeply inhaling. We're talking about yoga today and I thought of doing this topic while in yoga class last weekend. Mm-hmm. I would, Caroline and I had been emailing back and forth about what to talk about in the next weeks, the coming weeks podcast. And as I was in a downward dog, it hit me. <laughs> hey, why don't you talk about yoga? Yeah, there's actually been a
1: lot in the news lately about how, oh my God, yoga is going to kill you. You can really hurt yourself. And I've kind of skimmed those articles and I've been a little skeptical. Just, uh, I mean, I agree that you could probably hurt yourself. I have taken yoga classes where I've been pushed a little too far by some overzealous instructors. So, yeah, you can definitely get some overextension problems.
0: Um, but before we get into the dangers of yoga and why yoga is suddenly making headlines. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what yoga is exactly and how it became popular in the United States, because popular it is indeed. Um, <laughs> thanks, Madonna. <laughs> yes, thanks to, partially to Madonna. Around 15.8 million Americans practice yoga as of 2008. That number may now be closer to 20 million as of 2011. And with all of that yoga-ing, it is now a $6 billion industry, which is not surprising if you go into a store like Lulamon, which is Mm -hmm. the quintessential yoga supply store, because yoga pants and fancy yoga tops and yoga towels. I need a yoga towel, for instance. It is. You explicit. can't just take like
1: a hand towel?
0: You can take a hand towel to yoga, but I'm talking about when uh especially if you take bikram or hot yoga. Which I have done. You gotta have a towel. I of take some the whole sort. beach towel. hmm Yeah. But there are these special towels that specially wick away your special yoga <laughs> sweat for a special price of like two. $1,000.
1: Yeah. And I think all you said there were what 20 million people who do yoga? Yes. I think all of them were in my hot yoga class when I took it for a couple of months. It was crowded. It was, it was a little crowded. There was a there was one of those half off coupons ah. and people flocked to it. Mm-hmm. You could tell how angry all the regulars were. I stuck with it for a while until I almost died.
0: I, I, <laughs> and that's why we're talking about this. Yoga, as it's probably known that it is an ancient tradition from India, and it's first mentioned in a text called the Vedas, which is 5,000 years old. And the word yoga comes from the Sanskrit for union or Yoke. And that union implied is the joining of the mind and body. Right. And a lot of these these yoga tenets were Mm. were
1: orally passed down. Right. They weren't written down. So so we don't really know when the poses got more of the focus. The asanas. Yes. But in the 19th century, a member of the royal family in a region in India wrote one of the first how to books. To include poses. And a century after that, the Maharaja invited a yoga teacher known for his mastery of, what was that? Asanas. Or poses. And by 1931, this particular teacher had begun teaching Ashtanga yoga. Kristen, she's nodding. Uh, It's a vigorous routine of flowing postures. So we're getting into more with the focus on the physical instead of um, the rest of the, the other seven limbs of yoga, which involves spirituality, breathing, enlightenment. And this method was eventually passed on and evolved into the forms that we're
0: used to seeing today. Should we mention the uh, what the eight limbs of yoga are, please? Because I feel like this provides uh, the theoretical background of why people started doing yoga in the first place, and then we'll explain um, how that relates to the more gym and cardio fitness yoga that's so popular today. So you have the yama, which refers to the ethical standards of yoga, such as uh, doing no harm unto others. In that crowded Bikram classroom, Caroline, right. you should not have elbowed anyone. I I did not. Okay. She's so accusatory. <laughs> Niyama refers to the guidelines of self-discipline, which makes a lot of sense. It does take self-discipline for me to drag my behind <laughs> into yoga class sometimes. Mm-hmm. Asana, uh, which are the poses, also refers to the physical exercise of yoga. And then pranayama refers to breath control, which is a means of linking the mind and the body, going back to that Sanskrit of union or yoke. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, in the yoga that I take, we practice uji. Jai breath, which sounds like you are breathing harshly through your throat, sort of constricting your your throat to have an audible breath, which you're supposed to pay attention to to help keep you focused as you move through all of the exercises. And then the final four are Pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyana, and Samadhi. And I know that my pronunciations are probably not... Quite spot on for any yogis out there. And all of those involve transcending the physical world, concentration on one thing, such as an asana, meditating on nothing at all. This comes up a lot in yoga as well. You're, you're clearing your mind of anything except moving your body into these specific poses. And then the samadhi, which was the last one I mentioned, refers to the ultimate goal of yoga, which is a transcendental state of the self where you realize your interconnection with the divine. And living things.
1: Yes. And I wonder if Madonna feels the connection. I'm sure she does. She is actually, my friend Emily, who is a yoga genius and she's been practicing and teaching forever, uh, kind of blamed Madonna or credited, credited her as, as, however you look at it, um, with sort of helping yoga get into the mainstream. Cause you know, she's pretty ripped. Oh, yeah. And, and people tend to kind of idealize the yoga body like how lithe you can get and limber and everything. And so, yeah, my friend was talking about how in the 1990s, people started getting more involved with yoga as a way to get in shape and lose weight and it sort of started
0: to lose that spirituality aspect. Right. Now the most typical kind of yoga that we'll see in the States is hatha yoga, which emphasizes the asana and pranayama limbs of yoga, which are the physical exercises combined with breathing control. And Caroline, it's interesting you bring up Madonna because that celebrity yoga connection um, is not a new thing. It didn't start in the 1990s. It actually came from that uh, Mysore Palace in India, where yoga really started to spread around um, the East and then coming over to the West. Mm-hmm. And one teacher in particular named Indra Devi uh, trained at that palace, and then she took her skills to Hollywood, where she recruited stars such as Greta Garbo, Gloria Swanson, and... Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, there's
1: a picture of Marilyn Monroe. What is it, the back bow? Is that what it's called? Yeah, the
0: bow pose. And supposedly, Marilyn Monroe gave credit to her yoga for her great legs. Interesting. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, well, so now we have power yoga, where people flow quickly from one move to the next, and Bikram slash hot yoga, which we talked about Earlier, where the room is above 100 degrees, and this is supposed to help you limber up, loosen your muscles, and remove toxins faster, or if you're me, pass out. Did you pass out? Well, I got really close two times, because you can't eat too much or too little. Right. You've got to hit that that very fine line before you go to hot yoga and spend an hour in a really hot room, or 90 minutes, as the case may be. And uh, my last time in hot yoga ever, I did it for several months, Um It was a substitute teacher, because my teacher was out, and this woman who was really... Really, made for the advanced classes came in and made us do all this stuff, and I almost passed out. I just halfway through the class just rolled at
0: my mat and left because you shouldn't push yourself, you can hurt yourself i I've only taken hot yoga once, and it was a couple weeks ago, and I can completely identify with that. I made it through the class, but I definitely had to sit out of a couple of exercises, yeah, because it was it was so intense. that heat once we, there was sort of a hump that I got over. Finally. But then at one point, I started to get chills. And oh. thankfully, it was toward the end of the class. And uh, yeah, it, Bikram is, is intense. Yeah, but one of the problems, I mean, it's it, it can be enjoyable.
1: I, I enjoyed it, especially when it was winter. And I, I'd go spend an hour in a uh, in a hot room. But one of the problems with it is that it does make you feel like you're more limber than you are. And so it is possible to overextend, which is one of the main injuries is muscle overextension, uh, that yoga teachers see.
0: And even though Hatha and Bikram are Two of the most common ones that we'll hear about. There are some other types of Hatha yoga. Iyengar yoga, for instance, is meant to practice postures or asanas held for a longer period of time that focuses more on your alignment. And then you can also take Jivamukti yoga, which delves deeper into some of the more spiritual elements of yoga, really focusing on that mind-body union. Right. This is my yoga voice, if you haven't noticed.
1: <laughs> yoga slash NPR. Yes. Um, well, there are other benefits of yoga, definitely besides just that that connection that you're talking about, Kristen. This is a scary voice that I have.
0: This is your your old, your old smoking grandmother voice, Caroline.
1: <laughs> exactly, they're one in the same. <laughs> um, according to WebMD, and according to anyone who's ever taken yoga for any length of time, uh, the stretching releases all that built-up lactic acid that builds up in your muscles and causes stiffness, stiffness and pain. And breathing exercises can improve lung capacity and stimulate relaxation responses. And you get this decrease in. I'm sorry if I butcher it, catecholamines, which is the hormone produced by the adrenal gland in response to stress. And so it also lowers blood pressure and slows your heart rate.
0: Right. Um, a lot of times when you hear about yoga, these kinds of health benefits are touted over and over and over again. Um, in addition to what you mentioned, Caroline, you're building, you know, the, the basic muscle strength. It can ease constipation. There you go. How about that? You don't even need yogurt for that. <laughs> right. Um, and then it also eases symptoms of chronic pain conditions such as fibromyalgia, arthritis, back pain. But one reason why research on the therapeutic effects of yoga is still kind of thin is because pharmaceutical companies fund a lot of clinical trials and they don't have that huge of an interest in funding yoga trials because you can't condense the effects of those asanas and all of that ujjayi breath down into a pill. Exactly. But the question is, the question that we must get to, the question on everyone's minds, Caroline. Is it safe? Is yoga safe? Yoga is safe if you do it correctly.
1: And correctly is in quotes because it's different for everybody.
0: And that sounds like pretty much any type of exercise, except maybe, maybe like slow walking. <laughs> um, you can still trip. It's I trip all the time. I run into door frames. Nothing is safe for me. There was one uh, notable incident in college when before class I went <laughs> jogging, tripped, skinned, not one, but both of my knees, and then had to go to class walking through the entire campus with two <laughs> just bloodied... Uh, heinous kneecaps. In high school one time, I fell up the stairs. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a miracle I make it through daily life. Um, but, but yoga though. I, I still have not, I haven't managed to skin my knees in yoga. So <laughs> am I, am I good to go? Well, there are definitely some concerns that are a little bit, uh, deeper than
1: skinning knees, although I'm sure that's painful. According to a New York Times article from January 5th, yoga can wreck your body. They're not asking, If it can, but they're telling you how it can, and it is scary.
0: Yeah, this is coming from a book published by a New York Times reporter, William J. Broad, called The Science of Yoga The Risks and Rewards. Now, from the get-go, let us, let us point out the fact that I think William J. Broad, while he clearly did do his research, he's got a little beef against yoga. He's got a personal bone to pick with yoga because during an extended side angle pose, which can be tough on your back, you gotta ease into it. Basically, if you've never taken yoga, uh, think of an extended side angle as having your, your legs spread out and just leaning over really far to one side. And while doing this, he threw his back out because of a previous injury he had. He had ruptured a disc in his lower back and was actually taking yoga as a form of therapy for his back. Side angled, too hard, and back problem.
1: Uh, according to uh, Glenn Black, who is a yoga teacher that William Broad talked to, the vast majority of people should just give it up give up yoga altogether because you are so likely to hurt yourself that it's not even worth it
0: on a side note um when i first read this article about glenn black the yoga teacher i kept reading it as glenn, glenn beck, beck. Me too. And it it really got things going off on a, on a strange start in my brain. Um, yes, he thinks that Glenn Black, not Glenn Beck, um, ended up undergoing spinal surgery because of sustained injury from practicing yoga right. for a number of decades. Even though his specialty is rehabilitating people who would sustain injuries from yoga.
1: Yeah, he underwent spinal surgery in 2010 after developing spinal stenosis. And it sounds horrific. It's a condition in which the openings between the vertebrae begin to narrow, compressing spinal nerves and causing excruciating pain. And without treatment, he said he might have actually lost the ability to walk. And when Broad asked him, uh, you know, do you think it's just aging? Like maybe, you know, your body's just worn down, you old man.
0: He said, nope, it's yoga. Well... Black makes a good point about why yoga might not be for everyone, because Mm -hmm. it certainly takes a lot of core strength to move your body down, up and sideways um, and twisting it every which way. And he points out that. The contemporary body and how it basically sits in an office chair all day long is not very well prepared to walk into a yoga studio and grab your feet behind your back and, <laughs> and pull. Right. I am
1: from years of sitting in a desk chair at the newspaper. And even now, um, I still have hip flexibility problems. Really? So when I take Pilates or something, I have to be really careful about some of the poses and stretches I go into because... Things start popping, and I, I get this look on my face, and the teacher comes over. She's like, oh, my God, are you okay? I'm like, don't worry about me. It's just my hips. I'm a desk rat. It's fine. But, yeah, um, Black says that yoga is for people in good physical condition, or it can be used therapeutically. It really shouldn't be for a general class.
0: And the whole issue that, that William J. Broad, who wrote the book Science of Yoga, takes with how yoga has been promoted is uh, he says that there have been documented injury reports in journals such as Neurology, the British Medical Journal, and the Journal of the American Medical Association, but they have been completely ignored by famous yogis and uh, seminal books that have promoted yoga. For instance, he quotes Swami Gitananda, a yoga guru who made 10 world tours and has founded Ash On several continents, who said that real yoga is as safe as mother's milk? Mm -hmm. To which William J. Broad would say, "Poisoned mother's milk."
1: (laughs) Yikes! That is so intense. But yeah, I mean, it's true. You, uh, it's it is safe and it is healthy. And uh, I mean, I love yoga.
0: But you can't, if you do it wrong, you you can really hurt yourself. Well, let's point out the specific kinds of injuries that William J. J. Broad brings to light, such as yoga foot drop, which is an unresponsive peripheral branch of the sciatic nerve deprived of oxygen, deadening it in a certain pose called a Vajrasana, which is when you are seated with your shins underneath you, sort of like if uh, if you kneel down to pray. Mm-hmm. you would be in a vajrasana right but he's also this is also a case study of people sitting in vajrasana for a real long time
1: yeah that one guy they were they were talking about had been sitting in it for hours every day like hours and hours and then they talked to a woman who um was she doing a headstand and she either went into it too hard she just put too much weight on her very delicate neck, and ended up suffering a stroke afterward.
0: Yeah, the whole stroke issue um, might might raise the most red flags with people, uh, because depending on the kind of headstand, as you mentioned, and other poses, um, you can reduce your blood flow to the basilar artery that feeds different structures in your brain, and can possibly induce a stroke.
1: Right. Broad cites uh, the 1972 research by neurophysiologist W. Ritchie Russell, who said that some poses could cause strokes and brain injuries could even occur from overextending the neck. He said that extreme motions of the head and neck could end up producing clots and swelling.
0: And we're not done yet. People who are now probably a little concerned about... Um, their yoga class that they might be taking after they listen to this podcast. There are lower back injuries that are commonly cited among yoga instructors. And this is not surprising to me. There have been times when I have gone into um, a wheel posture, which is uh, basically a back bend, and thought to myself, hey, you know what, Kristen, you should not be in a back bend right now. (laughs) Exactly. Your back was not properly warmed up from it.
1: Yeah, a Columbia research team published a survey of yoga teachers, therapists, and doctors in 2009 asking what were the most serious yoga-related injuries that they'd seen. They cited, like you said, lower back is number one, shoulder, knee, neck, and then stroke came in very distant toward the end. It's rare, but it's a risk.
0: And as yoga has become more popular in the United States in recent years, there's also been an uptick in the number of emergency room visits caused by yoga injuries. Right. According to the Consumer Product Safety Commission
1: in 2000, there were 13 such visits. In 2001, 20. And in 2002, that number had risen to 46. But if you take a look at the combined ER and doctor's room or doctor's office visits. This is from the Huffington Post from 2007. Kristen, there were, it says 5,500.
0: 5,500, yeah, emergency room and doctor's office visits, which works out to about 3.5 injuries for every 10,000 yoga practitioners. And this is coming from a column by Dr. Eva Norlick-Smith. And 3.5 out of 10,000 practitioners, that might seem like some, some dicey odds. But then she says, well, hey, let's compare that to golfing injuries. Right. And injuries related to golfing are 3.9 out of every 1,000 golf players. Much more common to sustain an injury on the greens than on your yoga mat.
1: Right. I mean, you're doing all that swinging. Mm-hmm. With clubs and stuff. Jeez. And all that, that
0: dangerous golf cart driving <laughs> recklessly around the, from T to T. Put the mint julep down. Um, she also looked at weight training
1: injuries and said that between 1990 and 2007, 970,000 people went to the ER with weight training injuries.
0: Oh, and that's uh, that's not surprising to me at all because a lot of times with yoga, at least you have an instructor, whereas with weight training, a lot of times you'll see some folks out there at the gym who are just gung-ho on their own, right. pumping some iron.
1: Exactly, yeah. And, and, and they don't monitor what they're doing very well. I feel like there are a lot of people who just yank the weights up. Mm-hmm. But it's funny that you say gung-ho because my friend Emily, who I talked about earlier, said that while she thinks that yoga is for everyone... And, you know, here when she says for everyone, she's incorporating both the spirituality, you know, and the breathing and, and the poses. Um, she thinks that those gung ho masochists, as she calls them, should maybe find something else to do because they are more likely to be pushing themselves to a dangerous level in yoga.
0: Um, and. Not only are those types of uh, exercisers possibly more at risk for yoga injury, but WebMD also warns that certain poses can put you at greater risk of bodily harm if you have conditions such as severe osteoporosis, high or low blood pressure, ear problems, spine problems, and if you're pregnant. Right. But I know that there is there's there's some yoga that you can do while pregnant, but you probably just want to take care of your body a little more a little more carefully be a little more gentle with it um and speaking of the whole issue of instructors one thing that broad points out this is the guy who who wrote the science of yoga points out is maybe these these injuries could be mitigated if there was more regulation for who could teach yoga
1: right broad writes in his book that the field is on the whole completely unlicensed and un regulated he said there's no such thing as a registered yoga therapist applicants for registration usually face no requirements to establish their education credentials to pass national exams or to show other evidence of expert
0: proficiency but to me you you can determine whether or not you are you know being led by a capable instructor a lot of times um the the yoga place that I go to has a number of different instructors, but they're always emphasizing paying attention to your own body, knowing your limits. It's referred to as, as your edge. Don't go beyond your edge. Some days I can do a back bend. Some days I can't, you know, and, and sometimes your ego will get in the way and say, Hey, well, I did a back bend in the last class. I got to do one this time. And next thing you know, you have a lower back injury, right? Um, which is why in order to avoid being one of those statistics it's really important to uh take in a beginner mindset listen to your body do the pose that's right for you pay attention to instructors who will offer modifications Mm -hmm. um i think that's one one big sign of a good yoga instructor um and also again pick the right teacher and the right approach you don't have to go to hot yoga and sweat buckets and maybe pass out
1: Right. And there was one one of these articles that we read talked about specifically talked about headstands, things like headstands, very advanced poses. You know, don't keep going to a teacher if they're all, you know, first class in a beginner's class mm-hmm. at the beginning of the class, making you do something like a headstand. And that made me think of one of my hot yoga classes. Uh, one of the teachers, um, I would say halfway through a 90 minute class. Yeah had us doing, attempting headstands. And of course, you know, there were people who were very experienced in the class and they shot up no problem. But then there were people like my friend and me who were, you know, rolling over,
0: <laughs> like right. falling off the wall. And, and I know of someone who goes to Bikram every morning, Monday through Friday. And that's incredible. And I wish I had that kind of endurance and self-discipline as well to be able to do that because it probably does feel great to sweat out toxins mm-hmm. every single morning. But you have to know your own limits. And also for me, I know that I, <laughs> that I can't wake up that early and get my body moving. Exactly. Um, but Sarah Miller over at the all also took, um, a pretty funny approach to the whole, uh, yoga kerfuffle that started out at the New York Times Magazine. And she basically says that, yes, you can get injured doing yoga, but you can also get injured walking across the street.
1: Yes, as I have, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, she says that this whole hysteria that's built up around hurting yourself in yoga is just part of the whole you're going to die hysteria. She blames the New York Times for building stuff up like this. Oh, that their health coverage is a little sensational? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And she says that, look, people do stupid things and hurt themselves. Citing the guy who sat on his heels for hours every day who ended up getting a dead nerve. Right. She said,
0: most people would not sit there for hours. First of all, who has the time? It's true. Um, but it's it's another thing of uh, the whole issue of paying attention to your body. That might sound like uh, some kind of new-agey mumbo-jumbo. Listen to your body and what it's telling you. No, this is the same reason why you will stretch out before you go s- on a jog somewhere. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you, you might not want to sprint on concrete for excessive amounts of time because then you might develop shin splints. Ooh. I think it's just because we are learning more about the... Um, impact of yoga and as more people are coming, um, into the yoga fold and it's becoming more of a standard exercise for people, um, it is important for us to pay attention to these risks, but let's not, let's not blow the risks out of the water. If you're paying attention to yourself and you have a good instructor, then you can reap a lot of health benefits from it.
1: Right. But one of those health benefits is not necessarily, uh, raising your metabolism, you're not gonna oh, yeah. get super runner weightlifter fit doing yoga. And this is from, um, Broad, uh, William Broad, who we talked about, the, the writer. He had a Q&A with Health Zone, which is a Canadian website. And he said that that's a big myth, that yoga is good for losing weight. He says that it allows your metabolism to lapse into a lo- lower state of activity, which means that you burn fewer calories. But you can't discount muscle tone, though. Exactly. He does go on to say that yoga does other things on a psychological level that can help you to lose weight because it builds discipline and helps break the stress-eating cycle, which just makes me think of Cookie Monster. Um, and he points out that if you look at most yoga teachers, they're obviously more live than lumpy his words. Um, and yeah, he says that it does. It obviously helps flexibility and strengthening, but he says the ultimate magic bullet in modern fitness is aerobics and cardio stamina.
0: So maybe you you alternate. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if yoga releases all of that lactic acid that might build up in your muscles while you are on the treadmill or the elliptical machine or whatever form of exercise cardio exercise suits you the most, then maybe it's a nice uh, complementary regimen exactly but don't um don't go up in wheel (laughs) posture that's my takeaway don't go up in wheel posture if your back is not ready to wheel
1: so combine your your cardio with your yoga but ladies and gentlemen do not forget to breathe because my friend emily the expert who i'm going to keep citing because she's awesome says that when you realize that you're not breathing it's actually a sign that you've gone too far and should
0: back off and so i think you should remember that and pay attention to what your body's telling you. And also, Caroline, if you forget to breathe, you are abandoning the pranayama yogic limb. Oh my God, I'm sorry. And it's the way that you link your mind and your body. So certainly you must you must pay attention to the breathing. And I know that some people will do yoga strictly for fitness but I got to tell you all of the the sort of calm yourself know yourself clear your mind mm-hmm. um, aphorisms that are doled out during my 90 minute yoga classes I totally eat those up I love them mm-hmm It's my me time. All right. Now that I've geeked out on yoga, time to hear from some listeners. What do you think? Anyone who has sustained a yoga injury um, who knows exactly what William J. Broad is talking about, let us know. Also, yoga enthusiasts, um, yoga instructors out there, if we have... um, you know left anything out let us know momstuff at discovery.com is the email address and we've got a couple emails here in the meantime to share and this one is coming from our recent episode on whether or not gay households are more egalitarian and this is coming from Keith who lives with his partner and wanted to share his division of household labor. As far as housework goes, we found our niches. I take out the trash, pick up all the rugs, chairs, etc. for Rosie the Roomba to vacuum, (laughs) clean the bathroom, wash the cat's water fountain, which is amazing by the way. What is a cat water fountain? I want to know. Um, And I also mop the floors. He keeps the living room tidy, cleans the cat box. Okay, that's all I can think of, so maybe we need to (laughs) reevaluate. To which I told Keith that cleaning out the cat box should count as at least two chores.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, they sell those cat boxes that that self-rake. Oh, like a hundred bucks.
0: Um, but he says that we do share dishwashing as we have no dishwasher and whoever cooks the other person does the dishes and we alternate cooking with a few fend for yourself nights thrown in and we alternate lawn mowing responsibilities. I'm definitely the one who nags when things aren't done when I want them done to my specifications. Um, a great insight from your podcast because I think I can pick a fight where one isn't needed. Great insight from your podcast because I think I can pick a fight when there is no need for one. My advice, read Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and give a copy to your housemate. So thanks, Keith. Okay, this is from
1: Amanda about our Legos podcast. She said that I have a four-year-old daughter who loves her Legos. It's become a weekend tradition for her to play Legos with my husband. Oftentimes, Hello Kitty and Mimi, Hello Kitty's sister, will fly around on their space shuttle, lightsabers in hand, to fight the bad guy astronaut who kidnapped Mario. Peach doesn't get kidnapped. Only Mario. Afterward, they love to go home to their Lego house, which has a kitchen, bedroom, supercomputer room with lots of levers, classroom, and pet giraffe. I don't think that was in my Paradisa set. All of these, except the giraffe and Mario, are Lego, and the most pink there is is in the Hello Kitty house. I'm going to be speaking to a group of teachers in training at my local university about encouraging females in the STEM fields and plan to bring several of my daughter's toys, plush, white and red blood cells, foam, multi-sided dice, and her Lego space shuttle. My daughter loves the color purple and does do more role-playing with her toys than her male cousin of the same age, but I think that making sure you put thought into what toys you let your children, male or female, have is the best way to encourage them in the right direction. Thank you, Amanda.
0: Yes, indeed. Thanks to Amanda and Keith and everyone who has written in. MomStuffADiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also find us on Facebook. Like us, leave a comment there. And follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And you can read How Yoga Works by the delightful Molly Edmonds at HowStuffWorks.com.